you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey there, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I'm your host, Oliver Banks, and I am also your guide to successfully delivering your retail transformation. Thanks for tuning in to episode 121, number 121. Now, I don't know if you actually listened to the last episode, number 120, featuring the highly experienced and always insightful Ian Shepherd as we explored his fantastic book, The Average is Always Wrong. Now, if you haven't checked out that episode, I would thoroughly encourage you to go and do that. Ian shared some amazing golden nuggets with us all as we dive increasingly into the world of data. And it was really interesting, actually, because Ian used one word which really pricked my ears and I didn't actually catch it in the live conversation, only when listening to the episode afterwards. But it inspired this particular episode. Now, do you want to know what that one word was? Well, for me, the one word Ian used, and he used it a few times, was forensic. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think about that word forensic. But for me, it drives straight to crime scenes, police, investigators dressed up in, uh, in full suits, etc. Collecting evidence. It's a really interesting word and inspired me to think if there was any crossover between the world of criminal forensic investigations and our world, retail transformation. And if there is a crossover, what can the world of retail transformation learn from the world of criminal forensic investigations? So that's what we're diving into today. But before we do get into it, full disclosure, hands up, you caught me, I'm not a criminal investigator. I'm not a forensic expert. So I have been doing some research and I'm going to be uh, relying on that to guide us through today. And then I'm going to help to translate it. But I would love to hear your thoughts on this as well. You can always reach out to me by email oliver.banks at obandco.uk or find me on LinkedIn and I'll put the links to both my email and my LinkedIn and other social profiles on the show notes page today, which is obandco.uk slash 121. That's obandco.uk slash 121. So where do we start? Well, I guess the first question is, is there any useful link between that world of criminal forensic investigations and retail transformation? So when would you do a criminal forensic investigation? Well, there would have to be some form of crime committed or suspected of being committed. And then you'd use forensic science to get in there and gather evidence. Firstly, to prove whether a crime has or has not been committed, to link a suspect with a particular scene, or actually to exclude a suspect from a particular scene as well. Perhaps to identify the identity of a victim or a suspect or a witness. You might use forensics to corroborate or disprove different witness accounts. Also to interpret this particular geographic scene in relation to movements within the wider criminal case or sequence of events. In turn, helping police to link 
crime scene to crime scene and provide intelligence on the whole pattern of what happened. So if you're focused on retail transformation, is there any value in learning from that? Well, I believe, yes, there is. In the world of retail, we want to do investigations all of the time. Now, sure, we may not rope the area off with warning tape of do not cross. We may not dress up in full white suits to avoid contamination. And it may not be as thorough, but it may be a small tactical investigation or it could be a bigger strategic investigation, really to find out what's going on. That investigation may be looking to prove an impact or an influence on performance. You may want to prove or disprove a particular theory or idea or link different inputs or variables to see if it has an effect. You may want to corroborate or disprove a particular suspicion that is held within the business. You'll want to link data to reality to paint a clearer picture of what is going on. You may want to prove or disprove causality. Again, a point that Ian Shepard was very clearly making in the previous episode, episode 120. In fact, you may be looking to connect different behaviours and actions across the customer journey or the product journey, or connect different parts of the business together to show the pattern or story of what is happening. So to me, the world of retail investigations and criminal forensic investigations are actually very similar. So I do believe there are things that we can learn. The spoiler alert is probably the fact that I've decided to record a whole episode on this, but there we go. (laughs) So I've got a number of different steps to share with you that a criminal investigation would go through as it's collecting evidence in a particular crime scene. But before we get there, I wanted to step slightly further back and just explore, I suppose, some of the history or the origins of forensics. And actually, it all is focused around this principle of exchange, which basically states that every contact leaves a trace. So if you go into a room, you are leaving a trace. And actually, the room is leaving a trace on you. You may be having carpet fibers left on your shoe. You may be leaving fingerprints. I'm sure you get the picture. Now, this theory was developed by Dr. Edmund Locard, who was a a French criminalist renowned for really pioneering the whole forensic science world. And actually, he's often called the Sherlock Holmes of France, which I kind of like as a nickname, right? (laughs) So as I was saying, the principle of exchange means that anyone who enters a scene takes something of the scene away with them and leaves something of themselves behind. Every contact leaves a trace, as I say, however minuscule. The task, therefore, of forensics is to find these traces and by connecting the traces together, help tell the story of what happened. So in a crime scene, you can imagine what this is, right? Fingerprints, footprints, DNA, hair, clothing fibres, etc. Just like you see on TV or in the movies, yeah? But in retail, perhaps slightly less exciting, except for us retail geeks who love it, this could be a transaction. It could be an image captured on CCTV or security cameras. It could be a digital footprint, analytics, cookies. It could be behavior on social media, a call or reach out to a contact center, a particular touch point at a customer service desk in store, perhaps. There could be a whole load of these different contact traces that are left behind. And essentially, we should see these as data points from across the retail operation 
that now form the breadcrumbs that we are trying to link together to see how things work. So let's step through the different steps that are in this crime scene investigation that the forensic scientists would go through. And as I said earlier, I'm no forensic scientist myself. So I am actually uh, using some links and references, which you can find on the show notes page today at obandco.uk slash 121. And the primary site I'm actually going to be taking some quotes from is ForensicSciencesSimplified.org. Like I say, find the link on the show notes. So we begin by establishing the crime scene dimensions. And I quote, Investigators initially locate the focal point of the scene, the main area of disturbance. This could be a ransacked bedroom where an attack appeared to have occurred, or the room in which the victim was found. Radiating out from that point, investigators establish an area that is sizable enough to lightly contain all relevant physical evidence that may be present. It's easier for investigators to condense the size of a scene at a later point than to discover that sensitive evidence outside of the scene has been damaged or destroyed. So for me here, as we translate that into the world of retail, it's about being clear on the crime or being clear on the problem. By being able to effectively scope the impact and the touch points, we'll know where the trace clues are going to be or where they're not going to be as well, right? It's equally important to put things out of scope. So maybe this is about looking upstream and downstream in a supply chain if you are doing some form of stock investigation. Or maybe it's looking across certain channels and different touch points and behaviours if you're looking at an omnichannel customer journey investigation. But essentially, once you have mapped out the crime scene dimensions, shall we say, you will know where the data sources are that are going to hold the information you are looking for. You may also want to think about who the witnesses are that may have a particular viewpoint on the problem that you are investigating. And with each of these steps, I'm going to leave you with a little what if question to help inspire some thinking. So the first question I'd like to ask you is what if you establish the scope of your investigation and consider this as a crime scene, looking at the focal areas primarily and then looking at the widest feasible area with a, a view of condensing that down later on? What if you did that? Would that help you to really understand the problem before you begin? Moving on, the next stage is establishing security. So again, I quote, According to Locard's exchange principle, Every person who enters or exits the scene will add or subtract material from the crime scene, so it's crucial to quickly secure the area. Now, again, as we translate that into the world of retail, perhaps we don't need to worry about people contaminating the transaction data, but equally we might need to, right? Particularly if you're looking at something that is continually changing, something like availability, perhaps. But for me, this is really around ensuring that you capture the data especially if it is something that is going to be wiped clean. You know, CCTV is not going to be held around forever. Website heat maps, perhaps, or behavior analytics. Again, are you going to lose information if you don't act on that data within a certain time frame? And you may also want to act quickly to get those witness statements before memories begin to fade or before people even move on to different jobs or different companies as well, right? So we need to be thinking about how do we secure the intel and the knowledge and the experience and those witness statements, as I say, quickly. 
So what if you thought about the exchange principle in your investigation? Would it help you to identify and secure different data sources quickly? Next up, it's about creating a plan and communicating. And this is all before anyone's donned those white suits, right? So before collecting evidence, investigators must first develop a theory regarding the type of offence that occurred. Knowing the type of crime will help investigators anticipate the evidence that could be present in the scene. Based on this information, the crime scene team would develop an evidence collection strategy, taking into consideration weather conditions, time of day and other factors. Additional forensic resources may also be requested to handle special situations. So for me, this is about developing theories and hypotheses. But you can only develop a particular hypothesis once you have had a look at some initial data points. Otherwise, you're guessing in the dark, right? Just the same as a crime team are not going to turn up to a potential crime scene and just start investigating and collecting evidence, right? You need to have a quick scope out to understand what's going on here. You know, it's about finding those dimensions. You can't just start an investigation and dive into the details, right? And you may roll your eyes and say, oh, we'd never do that. But let's look in the mirror. Are you sure on that? I know I've certainly done that in the past. You know, keen to dive into the detail without really understanding what's going on or really considering the full scale of it all. So knowing this will help determine how you're going to approach the situation. It gives you direction. But you're not looking to create an answer, but only looking for evidence to support that answer. Now, again, in the world of crime, you'd say you'd want a fair investigation and you'd want to be innocent until proven guilty, right? Well, we should take those same lessons. Don't look for data to support your theory. Look for the theory to support your data. Again, in the world of crime, a forensic scientist is a specialist in a particular type of evidence. If you're a DNA specialist, doesn't mean you're great at collecting fingerprints, for example. And that's the same in the world of retail as well. Are there additional teams that have ownership or skill sets of different systems or data sources that you need to get on board at this moment. Don't try and be the superhero forensic scientist that can do everything, right? And whilst I was doing my research, one of the big pieces of, uh, I suppose, feedback to the entertainment industry in terms of movies and films is that forensics is not about this superstar whiz that comes in and spots the blood spatter on the wall and the broken glass and this and that and everything else and puts it all together. It's a team collaboration rather than a superstar that solves the crime just by quickly looking around a room, right? So I'd like to ask you, what if you created an evidence collecting strategy using hypotheses and theories effectively, but not exhaustively? What if your strategy was an effective way to communicate across the organization and get buy-in and feedback and support for your investigation? The next stage is starting to look in detail. It's about conducting a primary survey. An initial survey of the scene is then conducted to prioritise evidence collection. During this walkthrough, the lead investigator will identify potentially valuable evidence, take notes, capture initial photographs of the scene and the evidence. The crime scene is documented to record conditions such as whether lights are on or off, the position of the shades and doors, positions of movable furniture, smells present, temperature of the scene, etc. So finally, we start to collect evidence. 
or data as we're more commonly calling it in our world. We must capture notes. We must capture photos. And photos, certainly in my experience, particularly if you're talking about a real operational investigation, can act as such a rich source of additional details later on and really act as an amazing memory jogger in the future as well. You also want to be noting down some of the details. What about the weather conditions? What about staffing conditions? What about all of the different aspects to make sure that you've got it recorded for later on? So what if you thought of your data as evidence? Would you handle it more carefully? Would you test its integrity better? Would you document it better? So what if you did think of your data as evidence? Would that change things? The next stage is to document and process the scene. With a plan in place, the crime scene conducts a thorough, coordinated investigation of the scene, collecting all evidence. This entails detailed documentation with digital and video cameras or 3D scanners. For some situations, sketches and diagrams are also created. During the evidence collection process, it is crucial that the crime scene investigator follows proper procedures for collecting, packaging and preserving the evidence, especially if it is of a biological nature. Biological evidence can be destroyed or damaged by weather conditions, individuals can inadvertently contaminate it, or it can be overlooked entirely without aspects like alternative light sources to inspect the scene. So this is your detailed first pass analysis, creating insight based on what you have found. Think here about how you are preserving the evidence so others can analyze and understand it later on. Think about all of the knowledge that is going on in your head that is not written down. Think about how you share that with your stakeholders, with your team, because they don't know what's going on inside your head. So it's easy for you to make connections or understand or recall different data sources, but no one else knows about that. So actually, how can you document what's going on in your head to make sure that it's preserving the situation so others can understand it later? Think also about what your biological evidence could be and how is that going to be deteriorated or destroyed in time? Now, maybe that's not relevant for you, but it is absolutely worth considering in my view. So what if you took a fair look at the data rather than looking to prove only a specific point? What would the crime scene tell you in this first pass that perhaps you weren't expecting? And what if you really considered how to preserve the evidence in your head to be able to share and tell the story to stakeholders, to your teammates, and to the wider organization? The next stage is about conducting a secondary survey. To ensure the scene has been thoroughly searched, a second survey of the area is conducted as a quality control step. For me, as we translate it into the world of retail, this is about proving that the insight that you have found isn't just a one-off, that it is repeatable, as well as showing that there isn't anything that you've missed, perhaps a key variable or a noise factor. And you may want to be using some form of peer review to help guide you here as that quality control step. Also in this secondary survey stage, you want to be thinking about what assumptions you have made as you have built up the insight and identify steps that you can do or actions that you can take to help prove or disprove these different assumptions. So what if you conducted a secondary survey to help prove your insight and got a peer review 
to make sure that you're right? What would that look like to show that you could understand and recreate the crime scene? So the next stage that criminal investigators would be looking at is to record and preserve the evidence. To make certain that all evidence is accounted for, an inventory log is created. The descriptions recorded into the log must match the photo of the evidence taken at the scene and the description included in the crime scene report. So again, perhaps a bit admin heavy, but think about how are you documenting and recording the findings? And what if you considered your findings like you were going to be putting them forward into a criminal case? How would that change what you record and what you report? So it's this stage where the crime scene has now been concluded and the forensic experts would withdraw with their evidence and take them off for further analysis at the lab and so on. But of course, there's still the criminal case that needs to be built up. And in the world of retail, how would you show the thoroughness of your investigation? How do you know that you left no stone unturned? How are you going to tie all of this together with multiple supporting arguments from the evidence, the eyewitnesses, the forensic data, the alibi, the motive, and so on? And once you've reached your conclusion, how would you know that the opposite isn't true? What are the main holes in your investigation? And where would the opposing legal team challenge and press you hard? So here, what if you also looked at how to build a counter-argument to test and confirm your findings? So there are a number of different thoughts here that I've wanted to share with you today, and I hope I've inspired some different thinking. But ultimately, I want to ask you, what if you took on an investigation in your business by taking on these lessons from criminal forensic investigations? Would you find that you'd get to a more conclusive and evidence-based answer? I'd love to know your thoughts as always. Feel free to reach out oliver.banks at obandco.uk. And if you do perhaps have a little history in forensic investigations, I'd love to really hear your thoughts, as well as any additional lessons that you think our world of retail could take from a crime scene investigation as well. It would be amazing to hear if you if you do have that background. Data is becoming hugely important in the world of retail and retail transformation and investigations are going to be a key part of being able to use that data and interrogate that data. And as 2021 is the year to unify experiences, I'd love to invite you to a webinar about empowering your CX journey in retail. Now, this is the next in the webinar series about 2021 being the year to unify experiences. And it's featuring myself alongside Aspire Systems' Yamini Chaturi and Del Boomi's Mike Kearthy. We're going to be exploring that idea of having a single view of your data and why it's so essential to be focusing on building this mentality across the organization and how you can actually go about achieving this despite whatever legacy systems and architecture you have in place right now. It's on the 23rd of February, 2021, or available on demand after the event. The link for that is on the show notes page at obandco.uk slash 121. obandco.uk slash 121. 
So I do hope that you have enjoyed this little explore around the world of criminal forensic investigations. I found it really interesting. And like I say, I've put a few of the links that I used on the show notes page. So do go and check those out if you'd like to learn a little more or, of course, to find out about that webinar as well. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, then I'd particularly highlight that episode I announced right at the beginning with Ian Shepard. That's number 120. And of course, it was that episode, episode 120, where Ian used the word forensic that inspired this whole episode. And also check out the session I did on predictive modeling, which is episode 119. So I can't wait to hear what you think about this one. And I'll look forward to joining you on another episode very soon. Bye for now. 